Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Takeaway message of today is on motivation. And so I've been breaking down motivation on how do I approach things. And the simplest definition that I've been thinking about is it really is just a desire to avoid discomfort. So there's a lot of people that have these motivational videos on YouTube and you can watch them and you can feel great, but then you don't do anything. So for me, what I've found is a lot of my productivity tactics are creating this type of like un like closed loop that really works well for me where I have something I can write out all the steps and make the loop not closed. And that really motivates me a lot more than just a, like a a YouTube video that tells me that I need to run my head through a wall or like a speech from Matthew McConaughey on, you know, how to be a good person. That That's like flighty. So that's kind of something that I've been trying to to think about a lot more in my my daily life. What do you mean when you say the motivation to close a loop? Are you talking about unfinished tasks? Yep. That's that to be the driver of your... Yep. So that's, it creates discomfort in my in myself i'm trying to create that discomfort because you know a lot of people why they why they are not motivated is like you can sit and watch netflix all day and you're not there's no real discomfort for you unless you create some type of discomfort if you don't have any problems um with your job you feel pretty comfortable if you don't have any major motivation and it's funny because i was thinking about a conversation i had with a buddy as he said just wait till you have kids man you have never felt motivation until you have kids because he's like you got another mouth to feed and it hits you in the face Mm -hmm. yeah i believe it um some have said that the greatest uh uh, like demotivating factor is comfort yeah. And if you mm-hmm. live in squalor, you're much more motivated to get out and do something. The second that you become comfortable is mm-hmm. definitely, uh, it makes it harder to experience that struggle that can be used as the, you know, sort of the, the tip of the spear to point mm-hmm. yourself in the direction or, you know, to encourage yourself in the direction of action. For sure. And it's always this causing yourself pain versus how do you not, you know, how do you appropriately balance yourself to motivate? Because you can beat yourself up. And that's a lot of motivation. The motivational tool I used to use was like I basically wasn't good enough or I, I put my personal, my person, you know, who I was on the line in order to get better. And I really got into the outcome of the event. So my ego was like way in sports. That was a big motivator is like I am good at sports. You know, it's like that that identity we talk about that was a huge motivator is because like if you're bad at sports and you do i mean that's a big motivator so that worked a lot for me but not the most long lasting way to live there's immediate feedback in that situation which is Mm -hmm. i got beat on that play Mm -hmm. totally different than your career which is almost 100 percent delayed you know i mean it's punctuated by moments of success that give you some indication of what you've dedicated to, but it, it certainly the immediate feedback thing is like non-existent, which I think is why a lot of people struggle with it. For sure. Especially I think growing up 
you know, a lot of our friends, we all were sports guys. Like mm-hmm. we all had that kind of immediacy of, and even like test taking and all that. Yeah. Like we're just constantly yeah. reinforced by something immediate. And that's why I think people are like kind of obsessed with the performance review and the performance review process in, in companies, in companies. And I think people want that as a motivator, but it's really hard to motivate people on that. Cause I found I found that to be a very difficult process because it's so it's hard to get objective data that really matters because it's so subjective. Sure, a lot of it is, and that's demotivating when you don't agree with the person. That's so it's like there's so much lost in translation for these types of um these types of you know year end reviews, which you know are meant to kind of keep things up. But I think if you can do them appropriately that they work, but that's what I found was difficult is they just weren't very objective. Like, how can I get better today? I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I can't even recall the last time I had a performance review. Uh, one of my clients I know strives to do them every six months, but I, I've never, and I've seen people go in for their performance reviews and whatever, but I, I just have no experience in that regard. I've had, so I have the taken the creme de la creme of performance reviews. I've done two. One company I worked for was all about it. Consulting company out of Chicago, very large public company. You know, I'm sure they spent millions of dollars on this software that they had us all fill out. And it took you know, two hours to fill out. And it was just bogus questions that everybody put together. You felt like you're answering the same thing twice. And then at the end, it was like, all right, out of five, here's what you think your rating should be and what they think you're rating to do. And it's like, do I choose a four? Or do I choose a five? You know, it's like, what am I gonna, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to pick a three because yeah. I see that that's not, doesn't meet expectation. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and then it becomes like really subjective. And I, I mean, I left the company quickly. Well, it's just so hard when you have, financial and social incentives that are tied to these things it's Mm -hmm. like obviously you're not going to be honest you know Mm -hmm. i mean how many environments how many environments have you really been in that have 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 actually valued that honesty i I feel like most of the environments i've been around have been kind of sugarcoating the um reality of the working environment well the more surprise the more i work with clinicians so in the clinical world where the objective data hopefully wins i'm seeing more of that rather than on the business side yeah you know that comes with tons of complicating factors but it's a lot easier to present a case to kind of a scientist clinician type rather than a business person who it's you know your word versus mine type thing yeah sure so i've seen some environments work pretty well that way well, the, the whole HR process, the performance review is trying to take something that's largely subjective mm-hmm. and turn it into an objective. Because yeah, I, I mean, unless you're a sales guy and your targets are to hit X, Y, Z numbers and yeah. you, you know, you hit them or you don't. Right. Yeah. Or even executive like company grows, you know, like sure. these are the main sure. things. And it's just like breaking it down is really difficult. And I read a really awesome book. It's called Plain Talk. And it's on how do you, how do you. Um, motivate employees with uh, sharing in the profits. And so they, this guy was big on profit sharing because he said, you know, it's really motivating to an employee to know that the CEO's compensation and your compensation, they all are from these this number. Mm-hmm. And so he said they went through and it was the 
steel industry, they had survived with, you know, like 50 years when there was tons of turnover and they never, I don't think they ever had, they never had one layoff. And so what they would do is just cut the compensation. And he said he was the first one to go, you know, it's kind of the leaders eat last type thing. But I've been always really interested in that. And quite frankly, right now I'm thinking a lot about that just because, you know, when I'm meeting with people, everybody wants stock options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stock <laughs> options are a percentage of the company. Well, that's the first thing they fly. And we've talked about this yeah. a lot, you know, and it's a risk for everybody. It's a, you know, the, yep. you're getting into a different game when you're talking about that. And so it's difficult. Those conversations are always difficult. And I think every situation is different. So there's no like perfect answer that I found that is you give everybody options or you don't give anybody options. Mm-hmm. No, I have my, you know, I've, we've got some internal things. We've been like some laurels or just some kind of beliefs that we stand behind. And so we've made those pretty clear to the employees or the people that we talk to. Um, but I think there's a lot of information out there that cause people to come in with expectations of kind of what, what the, what they should, you know, their value and what they should mean. And that's really hard to, to navigate, but early and often that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. You you got some items in the list here. This sugar high fat. Yeah. So so last week the uh, the older generation was giving it to the younger generation, and this time we're gonna kind of give it back to the older generation. So there's this fallacy that I've been reading in this book that talks a lot about these two main things. The first one, they've analyzed screen time, and you know. Every older what he his what the theory was is or the the thing they proved was every older generation has thought this is the thing that's going to screw it up for the younger generation. Sure. So first it was education. Yeah. We're going to fill their heads and they are not going to be they're going to explode. Yep. Second was like the cars. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so easy for the younger generation. They're going to be so screwed up. You know. And so there's all these separate examples. And what they talked about is now everybody's picking on screen time. Yeah. And they said that is a that's a symptom of the problem, which we are as a society notorious for treating the symptoms as opposed to the issues. But exactly, continue. yeah. Well, of course, that's just what you do. Um, but I think that he really argued for so all he they looked at a ton of studies and did a a meta study, so looked at every study possible and did a big one, and found that uh, less than two hours a day of screen time is totally normal. And even it's not increased. Like once they get up to five hours though, that's where it gets off. But they said an, so somebody kids that have screen time of five hours or more, that's a big issue. But what they said is every one of those instances, they've looked up. This kid has had mat tons of other problems. So what they, what the kids are searching for, yeah. they're not getting in their daily life. And so yeah. that they go into the, so the, the, the parents neglect the kids or their educational system, mm-hmm. you know, thing is boring or they don't have a social group or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then their behavior manifests in the obsession with screen time or video games or whatever. Video games. And they said video games is fascinating because like the biggest problem was Fortnite. So Fortnite, we talked about, I think we've heard our family members discuss a lot of issues. And what, what they said is Fortnite is a fascinating example because all kids want is to be autonomous so to be able to make their own decisions to be competent in something and that's a big one for Mm -hmm. fortnite 
So kids that don't and then social uh, and rewarded is social. Like, that's the yeah. last. So they're the three kind of pillars, like a social connectedness. Mm-hmm. And so those are the three things that kids need. And they talked about how video games are solving those. Are so like a kid, and I'm thinking of like a young boy who isn't good at sports. He's not like a rock star in school, but man, when he plays video games, he has a following. He feels like he can do what he wants. You know, video games do a great job of this challenge. So they challenge you and then they reward you, but they don't, that's too, they've optimized how to challenge people. So you, you can gain massive competence and feel really like you're doing something. And so this is something they said is really important for kids. And if you can't, if kids can't find it, you know, anywhere they're going to go online. And, you know, that's why the internet is such a good, a good thing because parents can't control what happens online. So they can search whatever they want. They can form their, they can form their own identity. And that's the autonomy part. Um, And then again, the, the kind of underlying thing is they can form these social groups. So socially they feel a part, like you can join a Reddit sub, sub, you know, sub thread. And then you feel like, you know, your identity is this type of person. So yeah. kind of giving it back to the older generation is, you know, we're not as screwed up. Everybody's not as screwed up as we all think we are. Well, when I, whenever I catch myself going down that road of being like, it was so much better when I was younger, I always try to calm myself because I'm like, every old person has ever has said that since the beginning of time. For I've every heard, single yeah, thing that's ever occurred. We have all grown up hearing that yeah. from every older person. So I, I try not to have that be the mm-hmm. the the sentiment when I see, you know, kids spending tons of time online. Um, yeah, I, I bet it's a symptom. There is definitely a skill building component to video games. Um, and the challenge ends up being where does that skill building component interact with the outside world? Mm-hmm. Is there a parlay of that skill building component into something that is useful for either this the the individual or society as a whole because if there isn't mm-hmm. then it's just the sort of expression of existence which is fine but you know people don't unless you people don't pay you you can't make a livelihood off of just existing mm-hmm. in today's modern world and how satisfying really is that you know like existing in terms of like moving forward to, to kind of that next level. I think that's, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about is how do you participate with the world and find value for yourself individually? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I, I was speaking to some parents at a school district the other week about, uh, a, about, about when do you, as a parent, push your kid outside of their comfort zone and when do you back off? Mm-hmm. And it's a really challenging topic because, um, you know, video games is, is right there in there. Where do you set the boundaries? How do you set boundaries? When do you push back? Where do you push back? There's no there's no rule book for any of this stuff, and which is why I think, I, I you know, it, it was so hard for me to talk to these parents because they were like, well, how do I talk to my kid about mental health? And I was like, well... Um, I can only tell you my experience from the perspective of a child. And I asked them, you know, what, what, what do you guys do? And, um, they were all 
um, I want to kind of say looking for more concrete answers. And unfortunately, all we could give them was like more questions in which to ponder and more things to experiment with, which, um, you know, let's say you have a kid who's playing 10 hours of video games a day. Um, and he's developed this. I actually spoke with a parent that said their kid had developed a sleep disorder. He had insomnia now because he plays so much video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wakes up at 4 a.m. or, yeah. He can't mm-hmm. get to sleep. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's a 14 year old or a 15 year old who can't sleep because he's on the screen too much. That's a pretty blatant sign that you're on this on the edge of you yep. know whatever. It's a lot of time. Yeah, I mean sleep is a natural thing. So yeah, and and when when things get out of balance like that, um, I think that's that's the signal of you know. That's the intervention time. That yeah yeah or the or the at least acknowledgement time. And they they asked the one of the guys said. You know, I grew up in China and I sometimes didn't have food on the table and I went to school and I got an education and I got a job and I moved to the United States and now I work really effing hard because I know that it's hard to exist in the world and my kid doesn't know that. And he was sort of mad that his child wasn't aware of the sacrifice that he had made to get to this position in life and he was like, and now my kid's addicted to video games and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were, we were spitballing with how do you, how do you actually, um, have somebody recognize why your intention is the way it is. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you are to stop playing video games at a particular time, you know, it's because we want you to get sleep because we want you to study because we want you to get a good job and whatever. And, but then when that when he as a parent says that it doesn't mean anything to his kid because his kid is like well there's going to be food on the table there's going to be i'm going to have a house to go to that sense of urgency that sense of Mm -hmm. motivation i think is is absent so one conclusion we kind of came to was well you could introduce individuals or children to like shared goal setting so yes um you know why do we want you to get a why do we want you to get all a's you know this is why we want you to have these certain, you know, have not drink, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because the consequences I don't think are, are, um, are accessible all of the time. So as a person who's not, um, who's, who's perhaps in an, an authority figure in between the, um, individual and the consequences, you can perhaps facilitate the awareness of the consequences. So we were like, you know, well, could you take your kid to a food shelf or whatever, a soup kitchen, and then, you know, talk with people about the life choices that they made in order to make it more real? Because growing up, we were very insulated from suffering. Oh, yeah, big time. You know, as a middle class family, you know, in the suburbs, like your biggest source of suffering was being beat on the play. You know, or not getting, well, yeah. not, or not doing the test, or mm-hmm. you're not doing. There more. was other, I think, other created, in in. But again, it's not like there's not. It's not one of the basic needs. It's not as visceral. Needs. It's not one of the basic needs. Yeah. Food, yeah, yeah. shelter, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was just thinking about like you know that's a that's a, because that ultimately comes back to motivation is like how do you then motivate yourself in a way when the 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 means aren't aren't felt really right Mm -hmm. away you know yeah well i think something that that i've been thinking about and 
you know, I actually have this book kind of gave a little bit of insight into that. And I kind of agree with it is you have to create um, consequences sure, for everybody. And the thing about autonomy is huge. So how many hours do you think you should be doing this as a kid or an individual? You know, how many hours do I really think I should be working a day? That type of thing of like, it's your choice. All right, now you choose it. Now, if you don't, what what's what's your what do you think should happen? Yeah, that's the shared kind of yep. goals or shared mm-hmm. accountability. Yeah, the shared yeah. accountability. And then for me, it's like what I found has been really helpful for motivation is like being as 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 forward as possible. Or like for example, so I have scripted my entire day in a calendar. Every hour or fifteen minutes is accounted for. Because what I found is it doesn't give me a lot of outs. And but when you're when you have flexibility and freedom, it's a lot easier to just kind of meander. Meander and read and do things that aren't necessarily productive. Um and it talks about, you know, how do you choose which things, but that has really helped me understand kind of uh, when am I actually doing what I want it when I what I say I'm doing, and I think that's been really, really helpful for me from a motivation standpoint, it's like, man, I, I'm not doing what I set out to do every day mm-hmm. or I'm getting, this is where I'm getting caught up, but it's just more information for me to, to do. And so I think that would be helpful for somebody is to just say, Hey, you know, I, th- we time like we have a timer on and this is kind of you and over and this is the consequence and then sticking with the consequence. You know, I think that's something our parents did a pretty good job of is, when when we crossed the line, we knew we crossed the line. Well, that is a major principle of EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, oh, yeah. <laughs> where everybody creates quarterly goals and then you say if you're on track or off track. And it's kind of like the shared accountability in terms of, you know, your manager reviews them and makes sure mm-hmm. that, that they're stretch goals but accomplishable and all that stuff. And I, I think it's a good framework for... Um, positioning an organization so that that you know as you think about accountability and employees and stuff eos is is worth a read um there's a lot of stuff that doesn't apply but i do like the particular quarterly goals setting uh, yeah i so i've read that book too and it was recommended to me by another kind of entrepreneurial type actually a, a small business person and they said it really helped get everybody on the same page of this is the direction we're going and if you don't have that kind of rudder in the water, you're going to just yeah. be off all mm-hmm. the time. And I think personally, I've tried to do that a little more of what is the, what are my kind of key things I'm focusing on for, you know, the next six months, three months, and then how do I get there and back into it a little more, which everybody talks about goal setting all the time. I mean, this is like, well, and it, it's becoming that time of year too, where people make the new year's <laughs> resolution thing. Are you, mm-hmm. were you ever much of a new year's resolver? No, neither was I. I just hated the practice because for me, it's like I, I I just never found it to be helpful. Like I, yeah, it just wasn't really instilled in us. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of a, it's an emotional decision rather than like something that you actually commit to and do. And yeah, any sort of those obligatory 
um, sort like self improvement tropes. I'm I'm always kind of a rejection of it because it's like if I really wanted to you know lose weight or do the meditation or whatever, I wouldn't need the effing new year to yeah, be like I'd the start it right. Start it'd be right doing now. it now. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I made the commitment today. Yeah, and if I haven't made the commitment today. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's a time to to actually make that commitment. But it's like if you really read about habits, you should be re- like if you really want to do New Year's resolution, resolve to read books about habits and to like actually form habits. And there's tons of amazing stuff out there about how to maintain habits and how do you actually build those and then uh, get better. And so I think you know if anybody's looking for a resolution, instead of being like I'm going to lose weight, it's like I'm going to learn how to make a habit a habit and then try to because I, I think that's been something I've learned that would be an interesting New Year's resolution which would be like I'm going to learn you know I'm going to read four books about if you wanted to lose weight for example mm-hmm. I'm going to read four books about nutrition every quarter mm-hmm. like that's totally different than I'm going to you know lose five pounds because you're not that's again the focus of the symptom versus like compounding the, the issue yeah, or, compound, you know, or yeah. the lack thereof just, which i think like as a society we, we just are i don't know if it's it's always been that way or if we just suck at it because we're always just con- concerned about the symptoms of things as well, opposed it's easier to, to treat a symptom because you can have an answer you know, it's like the we can go into the medical model all day. You know, that's kind of where we live. Problem a lot of times. solution. In yeah, terms like of here's the answer, and now pay me for this, and now you're better. You yeah. know, it's like a lot cleaner than you know. I don't know. It's simpler. Mm-hmm. It's less. Um, I mean, it's more concrete. It's easy. It's digestible. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, because unfortunately, most of like the real progress that occurs interpersonally, personally, relation, whatever you want to say, um, is like in that gray space of just messy disgustingness. Oh, for sure. Which it is. is interesting that like there's been so much. And then this is why I always struggle so much with marketing is because marketing, you've got to put that messy disgustingness of where real personal change occurs mm-hmm. into a packageable box that people understand in a bite size. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really a talent when I, when I see somebody who does it well. Oh right? man, it is such a talent. Something that I've learned more about marketing is just how, how important storytelling really is. Yep. Storytelling. I love, that's something that I've loved learning about is the, the ability and the skill of telling a story. And it is scientific a lot of it there's a portion of it that's scientific and then there's like a very art part of it it is but if you are i I mean in in the instagram posts or whatever i don't have a lot of ability to create a story but if you look at the story arc of like every single disney movie ever it's Mm. the exact same thing the heroes play like yeah watch a marvel avengers movie and that's it in spades yeah well so we can just break i can break down what i've learned about a story sure so story starts out with a hero and the hero is not like so when you're telling the story you're not luke skywalker the audience is luke skywalker you're yoda so yoda what happens in a lot of senses is there's somebody who's just kind of mulling around and let's just say for personal development they they don't they don't they want to lose some weight for the new year's so what happens is person wants to lose weight. Well, all of a sudden, they they meet this girl and they want to go on a date with her. 
well, they're really worried about being overweight. So now there's like a motivating factor. Mm -hmm. And so they're super motivated to lose weight. But the problem is they don't know how to get there. There's like maybe this, this chasm to cross, you know, well, the desire is going to come in. And, you know, so, so what happens is then they meet like a clan or somebody like Yoda that tells them what to do. And a lot of marketing is acting like Yoda, like we'll help you mm-hmm. get to your We'll help goals. you cross the chasm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Yoda. I've done this before. Come yeah. on. If you do this, then you'll get mm-hmm. this. And so what they've, it, what happens is there is always two failures. There's one big one that happens right away. Then there's another one. And then which they makes succeed. the individual second guess their abilities. There's always and then they have to come back and overcome it. The always last a time. chance. There's always a huge time period where they are like they basically are going to quit, and yeah. everybody's like, "Don't quit, no!" Mm-hmm. And then people give up, but then they don't give up. And then sometimes the Yoda comes in and says, "Like, here's the final up, word of like, encouragement. Boom, yeah, get on ahead. the road. You know, go back and go to Lifetime Fitness, not <laughs> sponsored by Lifetime Fitness, but go go. So then. Then they conquer the goal. They attain all that they want to attain in success. And you feel like you're Yoda or you you feel like you're Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And so you've lost all the weight. You have gone through these two things. And what's funny is they've, people have tried to not do this model. So they've tried one pain point, not enough. People don't get interested. They've tried three pain points, three failures. People get bored and are just like, oh my gosh, this is too much. So they've settled on two. Two failures. Yep, two failures. And every, they said it's funny because like indie films always come out and try to break the model. And just can't do and it. And never work. Yeah. They never work. And they said the model is so... And what they said was interesting is how how some of the data scientists had studied is they actually just looked at what movies were the most popular over the longest period of time and what characteristics of those movies. So instead of trying to predict with a model they just looked at which ones were successful sure identify the patterns yeah and so they said like star wars and all all these movies have fit like the long-standing movies you know maybe there's one that comes and does well and you like the story and whatever but it doesn't have a lasting impact Mm -hmm. so i've i've read a lot about stories and i love i really enjoy kind of the storytelling aspect of things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in dealing with marketing you have to got to know because like stories motivate people way more and you know i can kind of continue on that one last point is so marketing there's like a decision making how do you motivate people to make a decision Mm -hmm. so what this book switch by the dan and chip heath talks about there everybody is basically like a rider and there's an elephant and a rider your emotional side is is the elephant Mm -hmm. so and the rider is the logical side. So that's the side we all think we are, is the rider. But really, there's this huge-ass elephant that we're riding. So we will not make a decision if our emotional side does not agree with it. It's like losing weight. If we emotionally are not convinced, if there's not enough work, we're just going to keep sitting watching Netflix all day. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not emotionally invested, and so there are tons of ways to motivate people emotionally to really get get behind things so that's like a really key part and again it goes back to kind of this the start of that discomfort you make people feel like the discomfort or make yourself feel that discomfort Hmm. so 
Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.